<laughs> oh, shit. Bubbly. Um, we're back to recording in person, but one thing we're not back to is having Allison and or Janine here. Hi, Jen. Hi, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, friend of the show, Jen Moniz, back. How are you? I'm just fine. Mm. Um, mm. Happy to be back. I don't think I, I think the last time I was on was season three. Oh, my God. It's been a while. It's, it's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, but nice to be back watching uh, Outlander with you. Yep, we uh, hung out, and of course, Jen, being the amazing friend that she has, brought a delicious blueberry coffee cake for us to eat, and that was great. And then we just finished watching Outlander season six, episode three, Temperance. Temperance, something we have not seen a lot of on this show. No, not <laughs> at all. And I'm still trying to quite tie that title to the events that we just watched. Sometimes it seems like they come up with a title before they write the script and then afterwards it's like wait we forgot to put the temperance in the script how do we make it work how do we make it work is it just because fergus is gonna quit drinking maybe maybe Mm. i mean but but tom christie is still gonna keep being a religious butthole so yeah i don't really know where this is i mean okay okay well let's get Mm. into it let's get into it so um the title card is a fire poker heating up in the fire and i'm like oh great who's gonna get burned i know i was a little worried that that was gonna be something tom christie whipped out at a certain point exactly um, you know but uh i did find the way that the poker eventually revealed itself to be quite humorous actually <laughs> mm-hmm. and we'll get there well we're gonna get there um and first we open with as we all often do beautiful landscape porn with gorgeous river kind of a um busy river lots of rocks lots of very fast flowing water and then there's a basket with a baby in it yeah right off the top just bang baby in a basket i mean we're not fucking around no not at all all these and these little urchins are chasing the basket and we had a baby cam moment which for me was the best part of that sequence when suddenly we're in the basket and it was baby cam I loved it. I wanted more baby cam. I feel like they could have swapped the drone for that cam a couple times. Uh, yes, too much drone. There was way too much drone. So Roger sees this baby in a basket, obviously freaks out, see this these urchins, as Jen referred to them rightly, running along the other side of the river, selflessly throws himself into the river to save said baby. Long story short, he saves the baby, but we find out that it was, and I, I know I'm getting this kid's name wrong because I can never really understand it when anybody says it. Is it Henri Christian or just Christian? He's calling him Christian? Um, I think Henri was the, the baby in the basket, mm-hmm. and I think Roger dubs him Henri Christian, I think he gives him that name okay. at that moment when he's christening him in front of the kids. That's right. So he grabs the baby, realizes that these kids are being assholes because it's a baby dwarf, and they're like, ooh, he'll burn me. We're going to see if he floats. Oh, the old float test. The old float test. It's what, that chestnut? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh. Back in the day, when women used to just get thrown into the nearest river, left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. And I would love Roger going, he floated because he was in a basket, you morons. And so the kids are chagrined. Um, he baptizes the baby right there in the river, and we're like, Roger's really kind of getting into this preacher thing. He really is, yeah. A little bit. He seems to be enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And so he yells at the kids, and they all run off. Um I did say Roger and Bree might get a magic baby before I knew that it was <laughs> it was laundry. It was the laundry. Was like, Here comes their baby. The store delivered uh, water delivery. And then I also wrote, <laughs> look at those cute ridge urchins, and then crossed it out and said, never mind. I know. I wrote down, never trust an urchin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there was a great moment when the kids see the waterfall, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, is the baby going over? And that's right when he saves him. That was a nice misdirect when the basket went over, but the baby had already been saved. I don't know how he got to the baby, because yeah. there was a good distance between him and that basket. It sure didn't look like he was going to be able to save that no, baby. No, no. And for a second, I was like, did they just kill a baby? Yeah. I mean... And we both went, oh! <laughs> did they just kill a baby? Because, I mean, I know Outlander <laughs> likes to go there, but it's like, we have... it's. Three minutes into the episode, like, did you just kill like, a baby? Like 30 seconds yeah. in. <laughs> it's like, was, what? We're really ratcheting up the stakes. Yeah, it's like, damn, they're not messing around. <laughs> so, good news. Baby saved. Yes. Um, and I'm like, oh, it's Marsley's baby. And the kids were being dicks about it. Mm-hmm. And they take Henri back to Marsley and Fergus's cabin. Mm-hmm. The only, like, actual cabin-looking cabin on Fraser's Ridge. And... Um, <laughs> Marsley has a great line here where somebody says, is he well? 
or it all turned out well or whatever. And she goes, well, I'd like to drown those boys in a well. Yeah, I should drown a lot of them in a well. And I'm like, Marsley, I fucking love you. Never change. Yeah, Marsley is the best. Mm-hmm. Claire mm-hmm. talks to Fergus. Fergus is obviously um, very upset. And as has already been established this season, Fergus is in his feelings and having a hard time. I'm starting to think that maybe growing up in a whorehouse could fuck someone up. You know what? You're not wrong. I I mean, it's starting, we're starting to see signs that it might have damaged him psychologically to grow up in such an environment. Yeah. And he unloads on Claire and tells her this terrible story. So Claire tries to um, let him know that people with dwarfism can have full lives and jobs and, you know, whatever. And he is too busy thinking about these dwarves that he knew back when he was a kid at the brothel. And spoiler alert, it's terrible. Yeah, it's just a horrible, horrible story of the master of the mushrooms. Mm. Which, I mean, horribleness aside, it's a solid name. Yeah. Oh, a great nickname. Yeah, if you were going to be the whoremaster of a bunch of dwarves, it's a good... It's it's evocative. It it is very evocative. But this guy obviously was a terrible person who was trafficking in dwarves. Yeah. I mean, that's a very niche... Very specific. Yes. But, you know, and... But just the idea that those are the only dwarves he's ever encountered in his life, I think, is the... Mm -hmm. The thing is that he's like, I have one dwarf reference point. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a friend of his because yeah. they would pickpocket all the idiots at the brothel while they were doing whatever with the <laughs> other dwarfs. Oy. And he became friends. And it, didn't he say his name was Lucas, I think? Mm-hmm. And then Lucas was murdered in the street. And um, I guess Fergus somehow found out that his body was sold to science and he got cut up. No, not sold to science. What was it? Like, not an apothecary or whatever, but they cut him up and used pieces of him as like relics or yeah i i, I forget what what the name was that he gave it but yeah i mean it's just horrible just like terrible. every little bit of this it's like if you had stopped a third of the way into the story it, it would have been, been horrible enough enough that was that would have been plenty to traumatize you but, but keep no, going just kept going another one and another one so we see that fergus really jen is right he only has this one reference which is that a dwarf can only have a very sad, difficult, terrible kind of life. That it, a dwarf is destined to be abused. Exactly. Destined to be abused. And Claire's like, no, no, come I'm, on. And I mean, I think it's even though, uh, you know, dwarfism is not that common, I, it reminded me of a friend's reaction when they had a child who had autism. Mm. And their first initial reactions as they were processing that and thinking about what a difficult life their child was going to have. Yeah. Because you hope your child lives beyond you. And it's like, when I'm not here to take care of them, what happens? Yeah, what's going to happen when I'm not here? And I think Fergus was having a little bit of that too. And that also ties into the larger what's going to happen when I'm not here situation that he's already living in because of the fucking brown attack. Yeah, which Claire tried to reassure him that that's... Not his fault. He wasn't there. You know, it's just not working right now with him. Um, Caesar Damboy was incredible in the scene. He uh, really was. This was a really good episode for him, actually. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of great, even though, you know, I, I don't think it was the best episode of the show we've ever seen. No. I do think there was some spectacular acting from a lot of people. Yes. I thought he was wonderful. I thought John Bell was wonderful. Ooh, yeah. I thought the actor who plays Tom Christie just keeps bringing it. He's oh, yeah, I meant so to look him up. Shit, I forgot my phone. Hold on. Okay. Uh, yeah, but... um. I wrote his name down. Oh, you'll all be glad to know that I got a new notebook. So, um, unfortunately, <laughs> the actor's name that plays Tom Christie is in the old notebook. So, I'm going to look this up. So, next we have um, Tom Christie getting his hand fixed, if you want to talk about that for a second. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, he goes to, uh, to Claire's surgery and, I, you know, initially scolds her for keeping him waiting. It's like, dude, she did not know you were going to be here. And also, my grandson almost just got drowned, so fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, come on, man. And, you know, she rightly... He does have a really good moment there where she says, some of your people tried to drown my grandson because they thought he was a demon, and he's like... And she's asked him if he had been spreading that, and he's like, I'm an educated person. Yeah. All right, Tom Christie. He's an educated person, but he does he does later confess to believing in witches, which we'll, mm. we'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, he agrees to do 
to do this surgery, but he immediately says, no, 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 to ether. No, 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 no. That's the devil's that potions. Potion, yes, yes. Specifically potion. Yeah, I feel like they keep dropping these little witch hints, and we got a lot of them in this, in this episode. The hints of like witchy words around Claire until she eventually just kind of comes out and asks him about mm-hmm. it later. But we'll get to that later. The in the um in the surgery, um, do we just get the setup for the surgery here? Does the surgery happen? I can't remember later? if it happens right away. Um, no, I don't think it happens right away. I think we have, we see him getting set up and denying the ether. And yeah. Jamie being like, Tom, for real though. Yeah. It hurts real, real bad. I've had this done. And no, you don't want to be here for this. It's not going to be good. It, it it very much reminded me of someone trying to talk to a woman who says that she's going to give birth without anis without, without <laughs> and they're like crazy person. No, no, it's really bad. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. But Tom Christie is like, all I need is my Bible, and it's like, all right, buddy. <laughs> yeah, sure you do, sure okay. you do, man. Um, and then we see Roger going around to find all the urchins. So yeah. we have this little moment, which, speaking of witch shit again, mm-hmm. where he goes to one of the kids' cabins and finds Aiden. And then is, oh, and what's it, a widow? I can't remember the name. Aiden's mom. Yeah, the one who they the said they widow. were going to build her, her own cabin last time. Mm-hmm. And she's screaming her head off inside. Mm-hmm. I, I was really, from the level of screaming, I was expecting it to be a spider or a bat or something like that. <laughs> Close. Because I did think, I was like, that's how I would scream. Also witch was... adjacent. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but um, but no, instead we get the wonderful comic set piece of she's pointing at a bucket that has a little cloth over it. And as he goes to peek, it makes emits a noise that Roger, you know, gives a good yelp of his own as he leaps back from that sound. And I was on the couch and I go, is that a frog? It's a frog. It was a frog. It was a very large bullfrog. <laughs> Somebody, I mean, does that ruin the milk? I don't know. I would, I mean, I wouldn't drink a thing of milk if I found a bullfrog in it, but I don't have to milk my own cows. You're right. So, you know, I I would just go to the store and get another thing of milk, but if it was between me having to milk a cow again to get another bucket of milk, Maybe. I, I don't know. I might just go ahead and drink it. Maybe I'd throw it on the stove and heat yeah, it up a little bit. Yeah, warm it up a little bit, but I don't I know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe i just make a cake out of it. But anyway, we find yeah. out that it's not a demon as she thinks it is. It is a frog. And then Roger calms her down and there's this moment where he's calming her down and she very obviously has been sad missing her husband and dead husband. And there's a moment where I'm like, Roger, mm, yeah, is she going to fall in love with you? Jen even said it out loud. She's like, oh, watch out. The widow's going to fall in love with him. Yeah, you got to be careful of the lonely widows. Yeah, man, watch out now. Always, always be careful of the lonely widows. And actually, it makes me it makes me think of something that, um, you know, you and I were talking about before we watched the episode of the very obvious ways in which they're setting Claire up to be accused of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And what, the the time that we sent, spent with this really superstitious and really lonely widow who kind of has eyes for Roger, for me, is setting up, I think they're going to do a little bait and switch with us. Mm-hmm. And Brianna's actually going to be the one that gets accused of witchcraft. And I wouldn't be surprised if that widow was the one who pointed the finger because she wants Roger all to herself. The lovely Roger who is married to this woman who uh, is making matches and is making cars and planes for her child to play with and big wheels that how do you know how to do these things? Yeah. I think they're, they're, they're setting, they're, they're saying all these witch words around Claire to distract us while subtly setting up this other plot of, I think I think Bree is going to be the one who finds herself on that end. I don't know. I haven't read these. I think it makes a lot far, of sense though. But it feels like that's what they're setting up. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that that's an excellent point, and I'm totally going to keep my eye out for it because yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense that they would not, that they wouldn't be so obvious about it, with if it was going to be clear, right? I mean, this whole series, we've all been like, how many times are they going to try to burn her alive? How many times did they go throw her in a river? But now that Bree's there and Bree's actually building shit, it's yeah. like, mm. I mean, it is like mother, like daughter. Bree is also very bad at time travel. Yes. Yes. Don't build your child of room. No. <laughs> don't build him of room. 
<laughs> I have that next. I'm like, all, in all capital letters, vroom. Don't build your kid a car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, Brie. So she has made, speaking of Brie and making things, and I actually think that this cut to this next scene mm. totally gives credence to your theory mm -hmm. because we see Marsley sitting at a brand new spinning wheel mm -hmm. and Brie has made Marsley a spinning wheel so that Marsley can do more chores and make more goods. <laughs> yeah, because Marsley does not have enough to do with her, how many, what is it, nine like, children at this like point? Like 15,000 kids? Yeah. Something. I and know. I love how she says, this will give me more time to spend with the Barons. And it's like, good, that sounds like fun. Yeah, great. Like, <laughs> how many hours a night do you sleep? Like, two? And um, she, Marsley and Brie have this very lovely scene where they talk about it a little bit. And then there's the room with, like, in... Which Marsley is suspicious of. Marsley doesn't know anything about that, right? She's no. never been led into that. I didn't think so. No, she doesn't know about the future thing. Yeah. Mm -mm. Um, though I feel like Marsley is savvy enough that she may be the character who puts those pieces together on her own at a certain point. Mm-hmm. She's real smart. Like, everybody else has been told, but Marsley is, like, you, you've seen over there, like, she sees things and just raises an eyebrow. It's like, right. huh. I wonder how they know that. All right, mm. cool. But there's a great scene between Marsley and Bree here talking about it. The kid comes in with a room. And then Marsley mentions Fergus and says that he's promised her that he's going to stop drinking. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we do yeah. see. And then um, now is where we go to Claire's surgery and get the old right hand strapped down to the... Yeah, I had to watch this scene through my fingers. Yeah, Jen does not like blood. I'm squeamish. And by that I mean I will faint dead away. At I'm glad you didn't blood. faint. <laughs> no, I did because I know not to look. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so yeah, I had to. Yeah, yeah. I I, I knew by Jewel, the noises Julie was making when it was safe to look again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Man, I, in fact, I don't even want to describe what it looked like because I don't want Jen to faint at my no, dining no, no, room table. No, no, no. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. But I did. You know, at first he's like, you know, I don't even need a stick to bite on. The Bible will, I will, the prayer will keep me strong. It's like, no. yeah, it takes about three seconds before Jamie snatches that Bible away from him and just starts reading over his shoulder because he can't even talk. Jamie even gives him whiskey. Like, Tom takes some whiskey, but then it's like, no, no, I'm better than this. But then starts screaming and mm -hmm. Jamie's like, this is a waste of perfectly good whiskey. And so Tom yeah. Uh, yeah. eagerly mm -hmm. takes the rest of it. So it's, Claire's just basically digging around in his right hand with a scalpel. Like, ew. Yeah. Um, but she gets it done in pretty short time. Jamie is reading the Bible out loud, and Tom Christie is talking along with him. Like, it obviously gives him a lot of comfort. And mm -hmm. there, what is the name of that prayer? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is that I the, think Lord's, it's just the prayer? Lord's prayer? Okay. Yeah. So it is the Lord's prayer that they're doing. And as they come to the end, or the end of as I know it, then Claire finishes it for them. She does. And so Tom Christie kind of has a moment where he looks at Claire and is like, hmm, maybe there's more to this lady. Hmm. Indeed. And she tells him that she wants him to spend the night in her surgery so she can keep an eye on him. Right. And speaking of keeping an eye out, guess who's keeping an eye in the window? Malva. Malva. Oh, Malva. Yeah. And here's where we get what feels like a faded meeting. Wien and Malva. Mm-hmm. And Jen and I are both like, run, we in, run. <laughs> it's just on every level. Yeah. It's like, have you met this girl's father? Have you seen your own mother? Nothing about this is good. Yeah. There's a lot of shit floating around it. Yeah. It's not great. And they have a really nice scene where we in, in fact, you know what? I'm going to have to save it for the actual pussy willow scene before I make that okay. comment. So I'm going to save that. But we in asks, uh, Malva, it, something about wanting to learn about being a healer, being Claire's like helper mm -hmm. or whatever. And Malva's a little bit like, well, my dad wouldn't think so. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we in first kind of learns about Tom and that maybe there's something, speaking of the milk being bad, maybe there's something not great going on there. Something a little off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I did like that. There was the, um, the line where she says that my father doesn't like me to see him suffer. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's why you were eagerly in the window? Yeah. Being like, suffer. Suffer. Suffer, suffer. suffer. <laughs> She did seem to be enjoying watching that. She was and I think, it. Yeah, I think it was not just uh, enjoying watching Claire's fine medical skills at work. No. I think 
dad was in pain. And she was like, there was a part of her that was going, good. Yes, he should be. Um, um, he says, uh, then the next note that I have is Malvin Wien in the woods. And then I say Rollo is the shit. Because I haven't gotten to mention the dog yet. And mm-hmm. that dog is so fucking cool. Yeah, but it is in their walk in the woods that we first get to hear, like... It doesn't take long at all for him to bring his mom up. Right away. And like, I'm like, hmm. Like, right away, it's like, huh, why would your mother be on your mind? Why would you be thinking about your mom right now? Yeah. Wien. Hmm. Yeah. And then she gives us the first tidbit that we've gotten about her mom, mm-hmm. which is that her mom was hanged as a witch. So, bad news there. Bad news there. But it, it makes, you know, everything that Tom later says about his wife, gives it gives it this extra color now that mm-hmm. we know that and then when and we'll get there there too but we also find out weirdly another extra tidbit mm-hmm. about whether or not those are his kids we'll get there yeah all right so yeah my big note is mrs christie hung as a witch double exclamation point. <laughs> yeah okay and then here comes the hot poker scene the hot poker scene <laughs> <laughs> so as you remember in the beginning title card jamie had been heating up the fire poker and this is uh when Roger had gone to see the widow, it was because he was going to collect all the urchins that had been there during say, Henry's birthday. You gotta come see Jamie at the house tonight. Big Daddy's got some things to say. And we won't tell your parents unless you don't show up. You right. gotta show up and then... Your this, pa- we're yeah. cool. Yeah. Right. So flash to the parlor with Jamie heating the poker up and all the little urchins standing there looking at him like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I know, for a second I was like, are we... Is Jamie... What is... Good? Oh, but he actually has a very, a very cool plan in mind. Mm-hmm. He lays this hot poker on a little uh, glowing hot red, red oh, hot poker. so red. Sitting there staring at the little kids, and then he gives them a choice. He's like, "Well, here's the beautiful little Henri Christian. You said that touching him would burn your hand. Well, you have a choice: touch the baby or touch the hot poker." And they, not surprisingly, choose the baby. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would choose. To, I, there was part of me that wished one of those little <gasps> shirts. Kid, the first kid would like, go for the poker, and then the rest of them would have been like, baby, baby, give me the baby. <laughs> I also have to admit, I was a little bit upset that baby Jermaine did not immediately go touch his brother. Yeah, like, they didn't lead the charge. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That kid seems like maybe he needs a little bit more guidance. Like, he's letting other people make Make choices, choices for, for him. him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. So all the kids touch the baby, and the baby is fucking cute as hell. And all the kids are like, oh, maybe you're right. All right, I'm sorry. And Jamie's being grandpa extraordinaire, being like, you made him laugh. He likes you. And it's a very sweet and funny scene, which I could barely pay attention to because I couldn't take my eyes off the room that it was happening in. Oh, my God. Which... I. The color of the walls in that room, I was, I, I literally yelled at Julie, where the hell do you get paint that color? Really? I want to know. I want that color paint. <laughs> where do you get teal. that? beautiful teal. It's like, it, their, their house is ridiculous. Like, it, how did they do it? Where did they get it? Did they crush a whole bunch of bugs, like, in yeah. those situation to make this shit? I mean, literally, it's like the deepest, dark, loveliest turquoise. So how? I'm, I'm, and then later, when we're in the bedroom and we see that hot-ass bordello wallpaper again, I'm like, did Jocasta just have, like, six rolls sitting around in the basement or some shit? Like, where are they getting all this shit? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, the, the parlor was great. Mm-hmm. I did have a thought about Jamie with those kids, and I was like, oh... You know, it's such a shame that we never got to see Jamie be a dad dad. And this is really cute, but you know what? We get a call back hard at the end of this episode. Yeah, it's it's really easy to think that we missed Jamie being a father, but then we realize actually he's, he's been doing he's it been, all He's along. been doing it the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we go back to the to Marsley and Fergus's house. That's right. And they're going to have it out. There's Fergus at the table drunk again. Yep. She shows, she, she comes home and... Babies and, are crying. I'm hungry. Yeah. He's been neglecting the babies. Ugh, God. And she wants to feed her children, but first uh, she has to... Lay down the law. Lay down the law because she has had enough of this shit from him. And she comes at him from every possible anger. It's like, you promised me you're breaking your promise. Mm-hmm. She tries that. Yes. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Then he says that he is a failure because he's got to protect the family and he clearly can't do that. And, and she said, we're both on the same team. Didn't and, work. Didn't work. And also, I can protect this family if you're falling down on the job. You think I can't protect this family? And then there's a long beat and guess what? <laughs> yeah. And we were, Julie, Julie and I were both like, is she going to do it? She's going to tell she's him. She's going to tell him. And she does. 
And I, I love everything about the way that she delivered that, especially, and I love that they actually had her say, I expected to feel bad about it, and I don't. Yeah, that's right. I don't. So she just literally looks right at him, and she's like, I killed Lionel Brown. Yeah. It and to- basically murdered him. He threatened us um, afterwards, and uh, I shot him full of hemlock. And um, I regret nothing. It needed to be done. Yeah, he was an evil man that we don't have to worry about anymore. And you would think that maybe Fergus would be like, sweet. My wife is a badass. But instead... That he would feel like, I'm the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. I am married to Marsley, which is the reaction he should have had, but instead it made him feel even more useless and, and less of a man because, oh, my wife had to do the killing. I didn't do the killing. Oh, my like, God. Dude. And Marsley does the perfect thing, which is that he wants another drink, and so she gets the... I couldn't tell if it was water or whiskey, but she dumps some liquid over his head and is like, get the fuck out. I, I assumed it was a. I assumed that he had been drinking ale and that she mm-hmm. poured a jug of ale over his head. Mm-hmm. But she pours it over his head, kicks him out, and repeats one of her, I think, best lines in the series, which, if I remember correctly, she first uttered when they questioned um, whether Fergus should be getting involved with the regulators and doing all that kind of stuff, like the jail, the jailbreak right. and all of that stuff. And she said, no, he needs to go out there and do this. I will have a whole man or none at all. And she says that to him again. And yeah. it's not, I don't think that's helping him right now. No, I don't think that he needed to hear that, hear her say you're not a whole man right now. Because yeah. it's like, I'm already feeling that. Yeah. I didn't need you to articulate that for me. So he hang dog drunks it out the door and we're yeah. like, all right, Fergus. I don't know where he goes, but. Uh... Then we flash to Claire and Jamie in their bedroom. And Claire is at her vanity. And I can't remember if they're having a discussion what, what exactly they're talking about, but she looks up in the mirror and sees Lionel Brown. In yes, she does. And that's bad. That's, and I was just like, and you know, I went, wow, ether has side effects. <laughs> Who knew? Speaking of ether. Yeah. She can barely wait to get that mask on her face. But then we remember that Tom Christie is staying the night. And there was a, there was a second where he seemed to be asleep and we were both worried. It's like, don't do the ether and don't, if that man wakes up and sees you with a face full of that ether rag, this is not going to end well for you. This is going to be really bad. But luckily he wakes up before she has a chance to do anything crazy. And says something like Mr. Fraser. And so she's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to have to save the ether for later. And then there's, um, a surprisingly lovely scene between Tom Christie and Claire where she's checking his wounds and says he has a little bit of a fever and offers him some food. And you can tell that he is kind of in awe of her or uh, surprised by her in some way or something. And he starts quoting St. Paul to her again. Is it St. Paul or St. Peter, the asshole? St. Paul, I think. Yeah, and-, and she's like, he's got a problem with women. Yeah. And, and like you see Tom Christie like kind of, and that's when internalizing she, this. Yeah, and that's when she flat out asks him if because she goes to get him food and is talking to the cat. Mm-hmm. When he comes back and asks who she was talking to, and she says the cat, and she assures him it's not her familiar, and he says, I don't think you're a witch. Right out. He just says it. And I think that one of the most interesting things about that whole conversation, and she asks him, You do believe in witches? They're in the Bible. He's like, I do believe in witches. We've learned that his wife was hanged as a witch. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he adamantly says, I do believe in witches, I don't think... You're that, not one, though. <laughs> no, but you're not one, but I think that the the subtext there was, I've seen a real witch. I know what a real witch looks like. I was married to one. And madam, you are no real witch. You are not a witch. <laughs> I've seen it. It's been in my bed. We're good. Yeah. Uh, he also has this moment, and I couldn't really... This... It, um, oh, God, I looked up his name. Hold on. Um... He had this moment where she was touching his hand and like showing him the exercises that Mm -hmm. he needs to do to strengthen his tendons and stuff. Mark Lewis Jones. Thank you. Very fine actor. So good. Where he is at the same time repulsed and kind of weirdly turned on by her. Mm -hmm. And it's such a fine line to walk and to make it clear that that's... Because then he mentions her hair. He says, you have a lot of hair. I think... I think that he's finding himself in a weird position here because if if I'm correct about his, because we already know that yeah, his ex-wife was hanged as a witch. If he mm-hmm. believes that, if he believes that she was rightly hanged, she was a witch, then he's got to on some level distrust anything, any woman he's attracted to. Right. 
Because right. it's like, if I am attracted to you, that must mean something's wrong with It must you. mean that you're Satan's handmaiden. Somehow. And so he looks at her and goes, I, I, I'm, I'm an educated man. I know you're just a healer and not a witch, but I'm getting a little hard over here. And, and it's creeping it's me out. It's telling me something's wrong. I, I, I don't know. Gravity's rainbow down yeah. there. <laughs> and so he starts talking about her husband, which is an interesting subject to bring up when you're getting slightly turned on by a woman. Let's talk about what an amazing man your husband is. Right. I saw him do this thing at Ardsmuir, and he retells the story of the tartan and the funeral and the, uh, the other prisoner that Jamie took the lashings for. And mm-hmm. Claire's like hearing all this stuff and kind of internalizing it and thinking about how many times Jamie has put his body on the line to save somebody. And you can just see, like, she accepts it completely in her face. Yeah, because she's like, of course mm-hmm. Jamie did that. and But he's bewi- he, he literally tells her it makes no sense that he would have done that. And I think that he really is fascinated by both Jamie and Claire and trying to figure them both out But I I think that in that moment, the one thing he understands perfectly clearly is why Jamie fell in love with Claire. Because he keeps looking at Claire like, that's the thing that makes, the one thing that makes sense. I see why. I can have a real conversation with you as a person, even though I, Tom Christie, distrust women. Anyway, it's this really fine line that he walks that's very, very good. Mm -hmm. Then we follow Claire back upstairs to bed where she has a lovely kind of pillow talk conversation with Jamie. Jamie is... Just naturally sleeping in a perfect beefcake pose. <laughs> you walk in like one, one, one elbow up, up one, just just really show the whole side. Just to flex that yeah, man boob, everything, just so you get the nice chest. It's like yes, don't all men sleep that way? Yes. <laughs> and they have um, a really interesting conversation about his time at Ardsmuir and what it was like to be there, and maybe what might be behind Tom Christie's kind of attitudes about all this stuff. And it's talking about how. People in times of trauma and privation get lonely and scared and sad, and how sometimes he would dream that he smelled her and like all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, but Claire was weirdly digging, like, she like, was poking. She was poking very much in the, but you, the men touched each other sometimes, and they like touching each other sometimes. Did you touch any men? Did you get, did, 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 did you did, think about touching the men sometimes? There was one moment where she goes, Did anybody think to touch you? And he goes, No, nobody ever thought to touch me. And I'm like, You're a liar. You're, yeah, no, I'm You're sorry. Dumb. You're stupid. You're, you're okay. wrong. First of all, we, we all know that that's not true because eventually Coinface showed up at that prison and we yep. know that he thought about touching you a lot. 24-7. Yeah. Still does. <laughs> Still is somewhere yeah. in England right now thinking about touching you. Yeah. <laughs> right at this very moment. That's what it was. Yeah. No one would think ever to touch me. And I'm like, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> okay. And then mm-hmm. here comes, I think maybe my second favorite scene in the episode. Mm-hmm. This is Wien and Malva in a marsh harvesting um, pussy willows. Like, I don't know if they're going to use the fluff or if they're if he's harvesting them for arrows because they're very long and thin. That That's be. like what I kind of thought of. And all of a sudden, I'm like, maybe we can't call him Wien anymore. He doesn't seem so wee. He seems like a full-grown Ian now. And John Bell is so fucking good. And I really liked him in this scene. This, it, he's talking about what it meant to him that he's not, he doesn't align with being Christian. He doesn't align. And Malva, you know, doing her Malva thing, like trying to work her way around and like figure things out. Mm-hmm. He's so good. And they, she just keeps inching closer and closer to him until at the very end of that scene, I was like, whew. She touches his face and I'm like, oh, The tattoos know. on his face and it's just like, oh, dear, dear, dear. Oh. Yeah. No, no good can come from falling for this girl, Wien. This uh, actor who plays Malva is also very good because she is really good at, like father, like daughter, I guess, walking this very fine line between, I, I, I don't trust her, but I also understand her. Yes. I, and I don't, I, I really have no idea what she's going to do next. Right. She is just like a wild card. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, her name is, uh, no, that's her extended family. Hold on. I've got to look this up. <laughs> Alan Christie. Look, Alan Christie's got his own entry and then Malva I have to dig around for. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Of course. So Jessica Reynolds. Jessica Reynolds. She's, she's killing it. She's killing it. She is. Um, because I really, 
obviously we we've seen her being beat by her father we know that she you know had that her, her mother died and now in this very tragic way um but i still don't know there's a part of me that's like does your father have good reason to be spanking your ass? Because I'm not sure. I don't know. You keep dropping hints about maybe I'm not such a good girl. Yeah, so there's Ian, something. There's something and it's there. Like, that could be a teenage girl flirting. Yes. Or that could be somebody trying very clearly to communicate, um, you know, meet me behind the barn. Yeah, I can't tell. I really don't know. And she, oh, I forgot to mention this. In the pillow talk scene that we mm-hmm. were just talking about, we find out like Claire starts doing the math about when Tom Christie was at Ardsmuir and whether or not maybe Alan and or Malva are not actually his children. Yeah, because the, the amount of time since Ardsmuir and Malva's age specifically. She's like, mm-hmm. Malva's Younger 18 years old. Mm-hmm. He was indentured at that time. His wife was still... Be- where, how? Yeah, what happened how there? Did, and... I forget exactly when it happens. It might be in this scene. Um, or no, It's I think it's later when she runs into Jamie that he asks if her and her brother have the same mother. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she says, of course we do. And I, 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 in that scene, wrote down, you didn't ask if they have the same father. father. You didn't ask if they have the same father. Because yeah. I have a feeling that's the revelation that's coming. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, and, and then I wrote, John Bell is a man now. He's yeah. weighing over. Um. Oh, we find out from Tom Christie after he comes back in to get mm-hmm. his hand checked out that Browntown ass clown is sniffing around the Fisher people. So yeah. he's he cannot stop himself from coming onto Fraser's Ridge and being like, you like this Jamie guy? If not, you can call my thug squad and we can take care of shit. It's I, why are they still trying to? It, it amazes me that after the events of last season, that the the this clan would still be fucking with the Frasers. Like, he killed everyone you love. Yeah, you, you you clearly don't learn. Yeah, or they just can't let it go. I guess yeah. maybe whatever. But they're still sniffing around, and Claire tells Tom Christie, "You shouldn't trust those people." And you can see this kind of real deep, like upsetting. he really internalizes that when she mm-hmm. says that, but he never says. She says, you know, he says that they came and offered me protection. And she says, I hope you didn't accept because they're not to be trusted. He doesn't say if he did or not. Yeah. And is this the scene where she gives him Tom Jones? This is the scene where she gives him Tom Jones. They have a great conversation about reading and about how he had never really read for pleasure, like read novels or whatever. His wife did. And then at a certain point he threw all of her books out or set them on fire or Mm -hmm. did something. And it's like, well, I wonder. Um, but that Ardsmere was the thing that changed his mind because Jamie, while they didn't have any books, Jamie would tell stories from books that he had read to everyone and he saw the comfort it gave to men. And distraction from trauma and horror and yeah, everything. It's it's a really lovely conversation about actually the value of art in our yes. lives. It's a really low. It's like, I love that they made time for this to discuss that actually it's, art is wonderful and meaningful to people. I'm fascinated at the dynamic that they are setting up between Tom Christie and Claire. And that, but then, which is a hundred percent undercut by the fact that Claire picks the worst fucking book to give him. She gives him <laughs> Tom Jones. It is the dumbest. I'm like, did you read? And here's the thing is we see Claire saying, I'm going downstairs to read and then soaking her face in ether. So I'm like, you haven't fucking read any of Tom Jones. Cause if you'd gotten right. 10 pages into Tom Jones, you would know, don't give a book about a libertine to the most Christian man you've ever met in your life. <laughs> it is not going to end well. And it doesn't. He goes home and we just get these close-ups of the words Fuck. <laughs> First we see hungers, love, and then very clearly fuck, 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 fuck spelled F-U-C-H. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, oh. Okay. But, but, and he looks. He has kind of the same look that he had when she was touching his hand that night. Yeah. Like uh, somewhere between disgust and. Being turned on. Being yeah. horny. Yeah. Um, so weird. So, very uncomfortable. Just, God, clear, mm-hmm. just 100% the wrong book. But um, I, I continued, yeah, to be, you said uh, Mark Lewis Jones was that actor's mm-hmm. name? I'm so impressed by him because he's just threading needles all over the place, giving us so much information with so Very little. little, yes. I mean, I, I feel like I know so much about this guy, um, but we still have huge holes in his backstory, but he's filling them in just with his face. It's incredible. He's really good. Um, uh, we then have a little scene where Malva is out hunting for mushrooms and Jamie... 
approaches her and starts trying to dig for info. This mm-hmm. is where he's like, do you have the, the same, same mother? mother. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also... Melva is just giving me vibes. Like, once again, we've said this at least three times, but there's just something there. And Jamie is 100% super dad here. He's just walking through the forest with her, but there's something... There's something there. I, I thought that it was interesting that they included that scene, not just because of the little bit of digging Jamie was able to do, mm-hmm. but because it seems like we had all these scenes with Malva and, and, and Ian and got to see how much she was turning on mm-hmm. this, this, you know, this charm with him. And she almost automatically starts doing it with Jamie too. Yes. And I, I just feel like it's like that that's just, her automatic go-to with any man. Yeah. That she automatically is going Except to her place. dad. Except her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, anyone who she's not related to, she is just going to lunge for it. Bewitching. Bewitching? Bewitching. Indeed. That's a good word for it. Um, and then this is when Tom reads the book and sees it. And uh, then we flash back to the ridge and Lizzie is once again living her best life between those two twins. Oh my goodness. Yeah, they are just literally sniffing around her. Literally just like anything. And she anything. loves she every minute of it. Oh, her hair glowing. is down. She is living life. Yeah. Lizzie is very happy. And what happened to her tuberculosis? I surely don't know. I don't know, but yeah, she, she looked gorgeous. There's, and, and it's a rent collection day, it looks like, because yeah. people are coming up to the big house to drop coin on Jamie's desk. Roger's keeping the books. And we see this couple that's kind of staring at Fergus and being weird. And at first I thought it was Mr. and Mrs. Bug, but it's not. But the, he's drunk. Of course, yeah. Around. Wandering around the house drunk, doing... Absolutely nothing, and except nothing. seeing Marsley being flirted with by one of the guys who's having a very good year, brought his big Not married. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. his... Um, Makes him feel less than, right? Yeah, yeah. Stumbles outside, and those people that were staring at him are right there staring at him more, and he confronts them, and we find out that they're the people who think that his son is a demon. <laughs> yeah, the he... Um, he says something about, you know, have you never seen anything so ugly as a man with one hand or, or, or a child that's a dwarf? And she says, you know, I wouldn't you're, say ugly. I'd say uh, I'd say drunk like or ugly. You're ugly drunk. Your son is grotesque. Grotesque. Ooh, and that's when he just enough. full on throws a thing of whiskey in her face. Sweet. And decks her husband. Her husband comes at him and then Fergus starts going in with some body blows. Boop, yeah. boop, 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 boop. And he gets pulled off. Yep. But bless, uh, bless Lizzie, who's immediately like, that bitch started it. Yeah, she started it. Yeah. It was her. I was out here. I saw the whole thing. She sucks. And then Claire's like, how dare you? Katriana Balfe does haughty so I well. Love I love when she brings How a haughty. Damn you. <laughs> and so they, I can't remember their names, something Scottish. They yeah. get kind of chased off. And Tom Christie is there too, so he sees it go down. And he also is a little bit like, don't be a dick to these people. Yeah, they're like, you, Tom, he's drunk. You hate drunkenness. Stand up for us. And he's like, they're our hosts. They welcomed us to this ridge Stop being dicks. Simmer down now. Yeah. Oh, God. So they run off. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marsley comes out at the very end, just be like, what's going on? What's happening? What happened? What happened? And everybody's like, just, just. Don't worry about it. You've got 20 kids to take You care don't of. need to know. Mm-hmm. And then we see Roger in the church, and he feels a little bit comfortable up in that pulpit. He does. And um, I, I noticed immediately when we got there, they got windows. That didn't mm. take very long. Window. Where are they getting all these fucking windows? I, I don't know. I'm going to start calling it Window Ridge. Yeah. Yeah, because there's just, it seems like an unending supply of silica or sand somewhere where they can just fabricate their own fucking windows. Yeah, I mean, I know we've seen Brie making matches and vroom vrooms, but is she also <laughs> making windows and wallpaper in the barn? Oh, I mean, she making the wallpaper? <laughs> <laughs> so Roger is giving a sermon about... Moses, because guess why? The baby in the basket. Baby in the basket. See, he he knows how to weave themes together from his life. Mm-hmm. And um, then we have a whole intercut scene while he's delivering this monologue of a sermon about Moses. And uh, first of all, aren't we all glad that Tom Christie got his beaten hand back? 
Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he certainly seems to. He's beating we, all of his ass. We see, well, first I think we see the, the book. He returns. The, That's he, right. The, this is filth. I thought better of you. And then in my and, mind, Claire it, goes, how dare you? I actually thought based on her face that she had the same reaction that I did, which I mean, it's spectacular handwriting. <laughs> the penmanship was superb. <laughs> you know, I, hats, hats, off, hats off, man. It was, it was gorgeous. And calligraphy. actually, does, is this the first time he can write again? Maybe. Oh, oh. shit. See or what was he like? Was he like chicken scratching with his left hand for all these years because he wasn't actually left-handed, yeah. and now she has restored the function of his writing and beating hand? Oh wow, she gave him a real gift there. Ugh. And yeah. so yeah, we cut to him uh, taking a belt to uh, to Malva with her brother outside, crying. listening and crying, and this I just a situation here that's the brother. The brother's re- re- really emotional reaction to that surprised me a little bit. Like he hasn't heard it a million times before. Yeah, there's there's there seems something where it's like, just the fact that he was outside weeping. It's like what, what are you? Why are you so do, emotionally invested in something that has to have happened constantly throughout your childhood? Do we think that once again? Let me remind everyone listening. Jen has read books one through four. One through four. So this is past her book knowledge. I obviously have zero book knowledge, but I'm like. Does Tom Christie's ruined right hand have something to do with his wife? Mm. Did she destroy his hand? Did she fuck it up? And then he, uh, who knows what happened there, but is she the one that messed up his hand? That would be interesting. And, um, but it seems like Malva has such a like dissociative reaction to this abuse that it's obviously been happening even if he can't use that hand in other ways. Well, it seems like, you know, the last time he tried to take the belt to her that he was frustrated that he wasn't able to do it. it it's, you know, because mm-hmm. his hand had gotten so bad he couldn't do it. I think he's been able to. Able in, in one way or another, or no, yeah. even if it was fucked up a little bit. Yeah. All right. But, but yeah, the, the brother, her having that, you know, I'm not even really here face. Mm-hmm. That We've I expected. Yeah. But for the brother to be outside listening and weeping, I'm why? Why are you? Also, you could beat his ass now. Yeah, you're. A, but you're a young man that could beat his ass. There was something that there was something in his reaction that I was like, "Are you empathizing with your father or your sister? Where are you in this?" Like exactly. You know, I just I couldn't place that. I'm so I'm curious to see how I can't place either one of those kids. Yeah, that's the thing is that they just feel like they're they uh, they almost feel like Faye, like yeah. weird outside of. Yeah, um, so I'm very, very curious to, to find out more about their family history and who these kids are because it's weird. It's very odd. But um, as, and yeah, so we're getting uh, the beating underneath Roger's lovely sermon and then we get Jamie walking out in the woods and he comes upon... He sees Fergus, Fergus. stumbling down a hill and then starting to try to commit suicide and Jamie is like, absolutely not. Runs down there and saves his life. Yeah, and you know... Uh, you know, has to, to beat his ass a little bit to get the knife away from him. But he's yeah. just like, this is not going to happen. This is just not going to happen. And here's where we get to see Jamie being dad supreme. Yeah. Like real dad. Fergus's dad. Yeah, he is. And we're reminded that he, he is raised at this boy. Mm-hmm. And, and Fergus is very, very sad. And uh, Jamie just reminds him, look at all these things you have done. Look at how you've helped me my entire life do all these things. How you've gotten me to where I am now. You. And I think it helps Fergus, and he has kind of a breakdown, breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And also, Sam Hewen is great in this. Scene. I know, and I also love what he's communicating, what he's saying to him in that moment, which is, "You have done so much, but what you do doesn't matter. I don't need you to do anything for me. I just need you to be there." Mm-hmm. Which is such a, a a father. That's that's absolutely the communication of a parent yes a parent you know like that classic line from a parent of i just need you to come home at the end of the day yeah mm-hmm. that's all i need i just need you here and sam hewen is, is so locked in in the scene they're both very good uh but it's it, a lovely scene obviously it starts off yeah. fraught but... and fergus fergus clearly has a lot of healing to do mm-hmm. um but um i think knowing in what a bad way he was knowing where his head was can only be helpful for Jamie and Claire and the rest of his family. Exactly. Um, and they, you know, so 
we see Jamie with Claire bringing him back to Marsley, Mm -hmm. who, you know, welcomes him back, welcomes him back, holds him. And we both said the same thing immediately. He's going to get her pregnant again. Like 10 minutes later, they're boning. Yeah. You know, it's going to happen. It's like, God damn it. Just can you leave that woman alone for five minutes? Can she leave that dick alone? That's the problem. No, she can't. No, no, she can't. They can't. I remember just enjoy my fucking too much. I remember my my uh, my cousin who has uh, three boys that were all born within three years. Oh lord! And she said that once when she told a woman what the ages of her sons, the woman responded, "Your husband must be hot as hell if you let him keep coming at you <laughs> like that." Um, and uh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, she just can't say no to the man. Yeah. Yeah. So Fergus looks like he's going to turn over a new leaf. Mm -hmm. And then we come back up to the big house and those coats are here. Those coats. Those coats. And, uh, Major McDonald shows up with a fuck ton of guns. For the Cherokee, which I, was one of, for me, one of the more interesting aspects of the last episode was, was mm-hmm. Jamie saying, I don't know whose side they're going to be on. And Claire doesn't really remember whose side they were on because, you know, in this She's country. She's not American. <laughs> no, but also we really don't. You know, we don't really tell the story of Native Americans when we're talking about U.S. history because it's uncomfortable for us. Yes. And as you know, the comfort of the of the people reading history is the most important part. It <laughs> has been legislated vastly throughout the it's last It's the year. American way. Yes. Um, so she doesn't really know. Um, so he's given him a bunch of guns, knowing full well that they may be used against him. And he's like, whatever. I, I, what can I do? I'm listening to Ian. Yeah, I gotta trust Ian. And then um, she, fucking Mayor McCheese pulls out a newspaper and is mm-hmm. like, it's gonna be sooner than you think, and lays it down. And Claire looks and... The headline says, Tea Destroyed in Boston Harbor. And, and she Claire can't help says, herself. The Boston Tea Party. And, and it's like, like, why would you say that out loud? Also... Were you worried that the audience wouldn't be able to put those pieces together? Did you say it because you thought we'd say, tea destroyed in Boston Harbor? Huh. wonder what that means. It doesn't connect to any historical <laughs> Two reasons that why I that line have. should not have been in there. Oh my God, it was so... But, you know, they leave and the, you know... Um, Jamie's the like, coats, what does it mean? The coats leave and he asks Claire, what's up? She's like, it's starting. This is the start. The war and the storm. And then we get a drone pull away. Yeah. Which was not... I know, but whatever. Yeah. Okay, so the Boston Tea Party's happened. It's on. Yeah, um, and as which as I told Julie, in 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 my opinion, the single dumbest historical incident in American <laughs> history: the Boston Tea Party. A bunch of dudes got drunk at a tavern, started complaining about their taxes, mm-hmm. dressed up as Indian as Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Went to the harbor and threw a bunch of shit overboard. It is the frat boyest, and that's way how our country was like, revolution. Speaking of the American way, no kidding. Yeah, it's kind of depressing. All right, well, that was the episode of um, Temperance, and to me, Temperance really mm, there's Fergus, but then there's Tom Christie not being able to temper himself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So far, it's all been one word titles this season i wonder if it'll stay that way that's true all right i'm not very good at the scales (laughs) janine did the scales last week let's see well doing it scale is easy because there was none there was none there was some serious eye fucking yes there was well what's a good uh eye fucking well pride and prejudice duh pride and prejudice yeah that's Uh uh, that would be at the uh the top of the scale but yeah the, the low end of the uh I fucking scale. Oh, I'm trying to think of a movie that just had no chemistry whatsoever, where we were asked to believe that the chemistry was real when it just did not exist. Mm. Um, That's really hard, it's especially in modern movies, because there's so much money invested in chemistry now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm trying anything. Sometimes anything with Barbara Stanwyck back in the day. That's, oh yeah, that's good. That's why they had to kind of put her in like uh, femme fatale and like above it all mm-hmm. shit because it was very it, it like shit. A lot of times it didn't read as real chemistry. I mean, in Double Indemnity, she's got a little bit of something going on, but she's mm-hmm. kind of a baby there. I don't know. Um, okay, so no doing it scale. Mm-hmm. Not even really important. They didn't really do it. Um. And the costumes... Costumes remain the same. Yeah. Like, the, on the is, ridge is 
homespun. Serviceable. For me, mm-hmm. the most interesting costume it was Wien's. Yeah, it's always. The, yeah, the only the only person whose outfit I was really admiring and looking at. And like looking at his yeah, accoutrement. The, the details of the, the fur. Knife, the fur the and the necklace. Neck. Yeah. yeah, he's got a lot of cool shit going on. I did like uh, one of the jackets that Malva, or like tops that Malva was wearing. She had one that like looked kind of like that wallpaper. Yes, exactly. It was a teal color. Yeah. Matched the interior of the house and I was wondering if that was like trying to pull her into that world. So that was yeah, cool. Yeah. But overall, still kind of just homespun stuff so mm-hmm. not really anything there okay so who, who gets the golden pample moose i think you i mean we've got to give it to fergus yeah caesar damn boy yeah damn boy i'm sorry yeah. caesar dom boy <laughs> he uh he really did some good shit here and it's great because when jen first came over today she mentioned that she was bummed that up until this point he hadn't had that much to do this season so yeah i mean and and season five he really had very little. Very he was little. very much in the background. He was too busy fucking Marsley and making 20 kids. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard work. Yeah. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. But we, uh, <laughs> we, we, I, I do appreciate him being given more, more room to run. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I hope they don't job. consider this like, you know, him, this like a neat little bow being tied on it. I hope we get to really, I, I think that one of the things about the show and about, you know, the books that I did read, that I appreciated was the fact that it, it has never really been interested in brushing over trauma. Right. It has always been very interested in what long-term trauma looks like. We were talking about this with Janine after the first episode. It really feels like this season is the kind of like trauma comes home to roost season. Like we are finally going to see truthfully how all these things have affected Claire specifically because she's been through so much trauma and then all of a sudden to have something so devastatingly traumatic to happen to her there's just so much trauma she's been through that's like built up in her and she's been trying to like tamp it down for so long and now she can't Jamie also has been tamping it down for forever but after seeing what happened to his wife he probably had some obviously Fergus is dealing with it so it it has been refreshing because, and we talked about this on Dude Lander too. A lot of times when bad shit happens to people and shit, it's just like, oh, that never happened. Like it's gone. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that it does. And you're right. I hope it doesn't mean that Fergus doesn't get anything else to do because Caesar Downboy is showing us he can he can hang. Yeah, and um, I I'd be very curious to see what his path to healing looks like. Yeah. Um, I hope he gets a chainsaw for a hand. Oh, damn, that would be cool. God, that's what's going to happen. Bree is going to make, make him a chainsaw, chainsaw for hand. a hand, and then it's going to be... Then it's over. <laughs> then it's over. She's got to go to the river. Yeah. Does this bitch float? I don't know. She's got red hair. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, oh. Speaking of which, say, Jen mentioned that earlier, too. She's got red hair. That's going to that's gonna be a count against her to begin with. Yeah. I don't know. Although a lot of these people are Scottish, so maybe not. Well, it depends on, it depends on who... Uh, who they go, what I think, who the the leader of the pack to come get her is. If right. It's, if it's going to be one of the people on the ridge, it could be some, it could be somebody else. I mean, we'll I, see. We'll I see really do think it, it's, but. I think you're onto something about the widow. Yeah, I think so. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, she's, the, the combination of this incredibly superstitious reaction she had to Roger then coming in and sitting on the floor with her and comforting her. It's just like, and also having kind of closer access to Roger and Bree than most of the people on the Ridge do. Yeah. So she sees this, she's going to be the person that sees the shit that Bree is doing. That's not Claire. Like Claire sees it and it's not as big of a thing to her because whatever I'm from the future, (laughs) (laughs) but fucking bullfrog bitch sees it. It's like, yeah yeah i Mm -hmm. I think we're gonna see that all right well i'm gonna save the list of patrons and everything for later because i don't want to have to put you through that but jen moniz friend of the show thanks for thank you so much i'm so glad you were able to do this with us and we will be back next time i don't know exactly when the next episode will be because allison and i will both be out of town next weekend we're going to Nashville. We're going to go see Trixie and Katya at the Ryman. Right on. We are very excited. So we were talking about recording on the road. Oh, that's fun. So we'll see how that shakes out. But y'all don't get your panties in a twist if it's a minute. Okay? We love you all. <laughs> Thank you so much. And stay tuned for the list of um, patrons. Thanks again, Jen. Thanks for having me. Bye. Y'all, I can't believe I missed the episode. 
where Granny comes back to life at the funeral. Nancy, what are you doing? Uh, that is going to do it for us this week. I had nothing to do with it, but here I am doing the end stuff. Um, we want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podlandercast. You can find us on Twitter at podlandercast and also at Jane. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Podlandercast and Podlander Presents and Sick Burn Jane. Um, and we do things on there. Uh, but most importantly, you can also find us on Patreon, which is a great thing that makes it possible for us to do this wacky show. Uh, we want to thank all of our patrons, but especially the following wonderful folks. Kelly Armstrong, Sydney Taylor, BG, Jess Bree, Catspot156, Maddie Perkins, Snazanak, Lisa Brian, Julia Gulia, Kathleen Martini, Lauren Tennant, Kelsey Kemp, Emily Day, Betsy English, Kaylin Reddick, Jen Collins, Ashley Tigason, Nicole Rodriguez, Kristen Freckled Fury, Laura Colm, Amelia Bazell, Liz and Tinkerbell, Stella Welch, Tori Howell, Again, Claire, Feeney, Rochelle Lefevre, Heather Robbins, Jerry Hurdle, Emily Carlson, Amy Gusterson, Rachel Townsend, Kelly Mazella, Chantel Salters, Mary, The Falling Statue, Cara Lu- Tara Lucchino, Tara, I'm so sorry, Tara Lucchino, Viv Pickles, a.k.a. Laura, Mary of the Grapefruit, Jenna Bukowski, Ann Gibson, Ruth McCormick, Kara Marlowe, Trish McCrary, Julie DeToy, Jen Lynn, Kelly Bodden, and then Kiki the Wise. If you want to join those lovely folks and support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash podlanderdrunkcast, where you can get access to bonus episodes, early access to regular episodes, and other fun stuff. Um, We want to thank all of you for being rad, and we'll be back next week talking about an episode that doesn't include when Granny sits up at the funeral, and I can't believe that I missed that. I've been waiting literal years to talk about that Amazing scene. (sighs) Bye.